0: Hello, my name is John Jacob. You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Podcast. This episode was recorded on Thursday the 15th of November in Trondheim, Norway. The recording began shortly before its subject. Martin Volberg took a call on his mobile and news of the then Brexit Secretary Dominic Raab's resignation broke. This detail is important, not for the art, more for the podcast itself. My trip to Trondheim was a last minute thing just the way I like it. As it happens, I'm energised by the prospect of having just a few days' notice to visit somewhere. As with all of my trips across the water, it was a delightful and rewarding experience too. It also triggered some unexpectedly challenging thinking. We live in a media age where categorising what you do is demanded by all. I struggle with this because I say this with my head hung low to a certain extent. I don't really do what other people do. My podcasts are conversations that revel in curiosity. The blog posts I put out often feel like desperately awkward personal confessions. It seems to work, but is it sustainable? The time I spent talking to Martin in this podcast challenged the assumptions I hold about classical music history. The experience I had sitting and watching an opera I'd never seen before with a synopsis written in a language I didn't understand also really pushed me. I still came away enjoying the opera, No, I came away feeling my curiosity had been piqued. What Martin told me the morning after helped embed the work of a previously unfamiliar composer in my mind. That is what art and passion, following Close Behind, achieves. Everybody it's know, fine. They wouldn't no others. No, it's absolutely fine, because whilst you were on the phone... Um, yeah, you, were you... i, I t- were we you t- breaking news, which was from, from my news app, which is, that like, our Brexit have to be has designed. <laughs> um, <laughs> our Brexit... Our Brexit... Brexit. That's, that's good news, isn't um, it? <laughs> it is, in a way, but it's also... It just needs to show how fucking awful the whole thing is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As in, yeah not, what a shambles it is. So it's terribly so exciting. Did, were, you, were, you sh- were you terrified by... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I was terrified by all of, the, uh, all of the journals that you've written in and the journals that you've been invited to write in and
1: all the things that I didn't understand. That says far more about me than, than it does about you. So uh, my name is Martin Wahlberg and I am uh, the artistic director of the orchestra which is called um, Orchester du Nord and also of the festival, Baroquefest. Well I think my, my interest really is in the 18th century. So. I suppose it began, like many musicians in the Baroque world, with an interest for Bach and Handel and and the general Baroque music. But then, because of a number of circumstances, I I came to France at a rather (laughs) early age. Um, And gradually, working with a more general Baroque repertoire as a musician, I, I became more and more interested in a period which has been really neglected in French music which is the second half of the 18th century mm-hmm. so basically after the Baroque period uh,
0: so was it the, were you interested
1: in it because it had been neglected
0: I'm just wondering whether for an academic whether there is a certain amount of I need to find something that other people haven't concentrated uh, no, on ah
1: no no I mean. no no not sure I think, I think I think it's a very in a way a very special personal experience because I I mm, I mean I I was trained as a musician, but I had this huge interest in, in French literature, so while studying music and while, while performing and doing concerts, I, I always um, also spent quite a lot of time reading French literature, and gradually that became a thesis, and it became articles. And, and the literature I read, because the, the big novels and books from, the 80th, from French 18th century literature, I would say, in the 18th century, are mainly like the books of Rousseau, uh, Le Marquis de Sade, all those books, they are basically from the second half of the 18th century. And when you think of 18th century music, you very easily think of the music from the first part. And gradually, I, I kind of realized that it was so different. And I, I think it's, I was really curious to, to know what that music would sound like, because very much of it wasn't really recorded or wasn't available. And it's and when it was recorded, some of it <laughs> and some of the recordings were. S- well, I don't know if I should say this, but I, I didn't really particularly enjoy the way they were done. Were they awful? <laughs> they, <laughs> <laughs> were they awful? Why do you just say that they were awful? Well, I mean, the ones that I found weren't well,
0: terribly enlightening. And
1: I and I think and I think the thing is that when you read, so I, I spent I mean I spent a lot of time in libraries reading archive material, and, and when, you, when you read the accounts from the period about this music, and people are, you know, absolutely, you know, astonished by the beauty of the music, by the richness, by the energy, by the, all these fantastic qualities, and then you, you look at the music, and perhaps you say, you're not really sure, but then when you play it, you realise how good it is. But what atta- what
0: excited you about the literature? So it sounds as like though liter- literature is what got you first. What excited you
1: about that? I think if you if you read, um, I think it's really because you know when you when you study the novel, uh, it's really the period. Uh, you know there is a very famous um, English book which is called The Rise of, uh, of the Novel, which basically tells how the novel developed in Britain in the 18th century. Well, now the same thing happened in France. So the, the novel which was the most read uh, in the 18th century was La Nouvelle Louise by, uh, by Rousseau, which was a hugely famous novel. And, and I think I, what I really like about the literature from this period is that it's so funny. It's really hilarious. <laughs> and and it's, okay. Okay. you have those very long stories, but it's, it's and sometimes you know they indulge in philo- philosophical passages. We can last for forty pages, Well, that's is boring. But but, then but is, that the, is that the joke?
0: Well, I mean, when you say hilarious, is that is 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 the fact that they spend forty pages? No, no. About I mean, it's it, really
1: it's it's the, it's what I find so intriguing. It's, it's this fantastic combination of really you know erudition if you could say that in English, really, really you know, really, really extremely intelligent thought combined with things that are. Really, really funny, right? And and it's something you certainly wouldn't expect. I mean, you wouldn't expect Wittgenstein to do some jokes in the middle of his so. It's, it's, it's the juxtaposition
0: of something really uh, worthy, lofty, intelligent,
1: erudite, yeah. with yeah. something as with a joke. And they would mix everything, you know. And they would also very often, since since you know, this is the period leading up to the French Revolution, and you know, it's really it's really the period where you have. In France you know the outburst of all those ideas about you know what we would call today human rights or uh, the right to write everything you want to write and they were not allowed I mean France there was a real there was a real um, uh, you know they were really not allowed to publish whatever they would want to publish the, the censorship was really strong so what they did was that they published outside France or they published in France but putting on the title page uh, London or or Switzerland, and it was sold illegally. And since it was illegal, um, they would combine all kinds of things which were illegal, including pornography. So you would have you would have some, some of the most some, some of the most you know astonishing uh, and, and and really famous eighteenth century um, uh, philosophical works, even by authors such as Diderot, uh, you will find, you know, mixed up with the reflections on Plato and, and I don't know what, you will find things that even today you really couldn't publish in, in such a context. And I think it's, it's just it's such an outburst of, of intelligence and, and fun. And, and I think it's for, for a reader today is also so extremely modern, and in the middle of all this, there is music. They speak about music all the time, um, so the senses were okay with pornography, but they
0: weren <laughs> 't they weren't, they weren't okay with philosophy or, or any other sort of uh, important thinking that 's hugely entertaining so um, uh, so that covers literature for you. How did that spill, how does that spill over into music? So what
1: is it that we 're missing? in terms of music in that period of time do you think. Well the thing is that when you read those texts by especially the Diderot and his very close friend Grimm, Melchior Grimm who was a uh, a German um, a German philosopher who, who, who went to Paris, you realize that music is completely as a completely integrated part of of intellectual life uh, in a different way than today, I think. And, and Grimm, he, he wrote this... I mean, one needs to know the, the story behind this. Grimm, so he went, to, he went to France, he was German, and he very quickly climbed the social circus of the literary uh, circles surrounding Diderot and, and Rousseau, uh, especially Diderot, and he, he actually uh, founded this uh, review, which is called La Correspondance Littéraire, uh, which is an amazing thing. It was a review which was copied by hand. It was printed, I think, in... Well, it wasn't printed. It was copied in... There were, I mean, there were people actually writing it down in several copies, I think, in 16 or 18, and it was sent to sub, uh, people who subscribed. But those people who subscribed would be kings, you know? It would be the, the king of, of, of Sweden or the or other uh, German dukes and... Uh, and uh, and kings. So, what they wrote there was not really read so much, particularly in France, as it was read in the German-speaking parts of Europe and also, I think, in uh, in Russia. So, they could write more freely. And what they write about all the time, especially Rim, is the terrible bad French music. So they really hated this. You know, this is just after the so-called Querelle des Bouffons, which occurred about 1752 which was a big uh, a big um, debate in Paris about music and they kind of realized that you know in Paris there was this uh, in the opera in Paris they only played mainly french baroque opera which was uh, a kind of symbol of the stage really it was supported by the king so and since the birth of french opera in the 16th century with Lully there hadn't been huge development uh, they stick to the same repertoire which, you know, by 1750 was almost 100 years, years old. And there was a huge need for to invent something new. So all those international people wrote how terribly bad they thought Rameau was, and even how, how even more, even worse <laughs> Lully would be. Uh, so Rousseau and Grimm, they write about this all the time. And then there is this new genre which, which appears. Uh, simultaneously, so two or three years afterwards, which is the new kind of opera comic which, which emerged in France in this period, which was comedy, spoken comedy with music. And Grimm he be- immediately becomes a huge fan. This
0: isn't, so this isn't the opera comic
1: where existing vaudeville songs are put
0: in uh, inter- interspersed dialogue. This is, this is where specifically written...
1: Absolutely. So yeah. New
0: new material is is used in spoken.
1: And that and that was a very big change which happens it's a very good question because that is the big change which happens actually there in the mid in the mid seventeen fifties. Because before Opera Comic used to be, you know, they took some songs which people knew and they added new texts. <laughs> I'm really um, so, I'm really sorry and, to say this. You will hate me for saying this. Uh, but it, when I when I read about
0: that, and I did kind of study that twenty odd years ago. But I just it just completely went over my head. But but it kind of made me think of Mamma Mia. It kind of made me think of ABBA. And I know that's wrong, uh, but but that's kind of what Benny and Bjorn did, uh, i.e., taking well-known songs and then to constructing a constructing a story around it. Anyway, I'm sorry. It's just, that, just, my, that, just my way of driving. That, that, that was what they did <laughs> first, actually. Yeah.
1: And and but um, so it's. Because the opera comique, the word refers to several things. But what, what happens in the 1750s what was that there was this Italian composer, Duni, who moved from Parma to Paris. And together with another composer, Philidor, who actually was, a, was French, but he was a chess player. He was Europe's best chess player. So he had traveled all around Europe and listened to music in other countries. So he didn't write French music when he came back. The two of them teamed up with different uh, playwrights and from basically 70 57 58 they wrote a whole series of these new pieces uh, under the name of Rock comic but that were real comedies with newly written music and to come back to the question you asked me first why, why this is interesting the thing is that uh, when Grimm speaks about this and when Diderot speaks about it it's you know they they really speak about it as something which is fantastic and. You know, scholars writing about this, they usually tend to say that it's terribly bad, and I just don't. Well, as an opera commie? Yeah, they. You know, no, Philidor, Duny, they. You know, within musicological circles, those are not composers with a huge reputation. No, I was concerned i have never and, heard of them. Before. And and the thing is, not that that's a bad thing. And but but, I think it's completely unjustified. I think I think people. Perhaps got this wrong, you know, because. And, and the thing is also that this, this, uh, uh, this new genre, it spread immediately throughout all of Europe. Because it was in French, um, and because there were French troops, uh, theatre troops, all over Europe. Uh, okay. it would be played was a captain it it he was, was played audience. it was played everywhere you know it was played in London it was played in Copenhagen in, in stockholm in st Petersburg even in, it was even exported to Italy, so it very soon became one of the most popular kinds of theater and music all across europe and this was you know this was this was what Mozart heard when he was when he was a young boy and you know uh the composer, uh, those composers like Duni, Philidor, Monsigny, and Gretry, who are the most important ones, they were among the most famous compo- composers all over Europe at this so, period. So, their
0: work, it was Philidor who came from Italy, to, uh, who came from Duny, to Paris, Duny. Uh, Duny. Yeah. Um, Their work was um, a hybrid, presumably, a mishmash of various different musical styles that they had heard. Yeah, okay. Uh, and it's your view that. Mozart heard their music when he was a boy
1: well it's not only my view okay I mean, okay. I, mean I don't know <laughs> I'm asking it's, it's, <laughs> okay someone's defense you know I mean it's it, it's a fact <laughs> okay. that, 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 right. that, that, that that you know Mozart famously m- 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 hey, he went to Paris you know when he was when he was a boy with his father and he you know, yes. you know okay. yeah. and, and you know the, ah, the the, okay, the, the big the big biography also speaks about this. It's just that you know, I think I think there is a sense that I mean. So I came to this really true literature. As a musician, I before I mean I had played you know Bach and Handel and these kinds of things, and and I you know in the beginning I thought it probably isn't any good know, the, the music hasn't been edited often in many cases. You you really need to go through the... But that's not because it isn't any good. It's because no. there hasn't been a need to edit it. It's because, because, it's because it. it has been played... It was played heavily. It was programmed all over the place, all over Europe, until mid-19th century. And, I mean, the influence of this music is tremendous. Uh, and I think there is... I, in my opinion, what has happened, perhaps, is that, you know, when we understand... I mean, there are many different factors that, you know, decide what music we listen to and which music is programmed and what people write about. And I think there has been... Uh, you know, if you read music history, you you know, you learn about the Baroque music. And then there is the... You know, the second half of the 80th century really usually is referred to as the classical mm-hmm. era. You know? And then, you know... It's a very strong timeline, isn't then And then, line, and then, there, and then, then you know, certainly, uh, all of a sudden, you know, if you read about rock music, there is Handel in London, there yes. is the Amour yeah. in Paris, there is the French style, the Italian style, and then all of a sudden you came to you come to 1750, 60, and then whoop, you transfers to Vienna. Yes, <laughs> and yes. Then, yes exactly. And it seems yes. like everything happens only there. Yes. You know, you have Haydn and Mozart, and the less famous ones like Banal or Salieri, and. And the thing is, you know, Paris is just a big musical hub and perhaps even bigger than Vienna at the time. And, and um, what happens in Paris, I mean, the huge thing, the really huge thing which is hugely popular in Paris is opera comic. So I think there is... Because opera comic hasn't been played so much in recent years, and, I mean, basically since the 1920s, 30s, uh, we kind of... Lo- and be- because music was there a history, judgment
0: was there a judgment made on it? Do you think at that point, which is this is uh, this is not worth it now? It's not it's not lofty enough. I think it's, it's a combination
1: a... of many things. You know, also you know there is um, um within this is a bit technical, but within musicology there is the tradition of it's a very I mean it, as a discipline it was really developed heavily in Germany in the nineteenth century with a strong focus on compositional technique. You know uh, how a symphony is constructed with a sonata form. And well, the sonata, the ideas of the construction of the sonata form is something which is very much developed out of studies of Haydn and Mozart. Yeah, yep. And you know, if you, if you look at the French school at the same time, well, certain composers like D'Or, oh, he certainly organizes music like this, but there is a very, very strong sense of melody and drama. So if you listen to the kind of music we are performing now, and the kind of music they would write in this period, it's all about melody, it's about singing, yes, and it's about, yes. about orc- orchestral effect, and it's just a whole different way of composing. And I think there is a French line, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but th- there is a French line, they create a new line of French composing uh, that goes from the 1750s, with the birth of Comic through Berlioz, and, and forward. And you know, Berlioz, of course, was very much, uh, you know, when he was very much bred you say Brandon I mean he was very very much uh, you know shaped in his youth by this influence. influenced by yeah, yes. yes okay
0: um, uh, you covered a number of things that I now don't need to ask you which is fantastic <laughs> just a, uh, utterly brilliant interview um, uh, so here's the thing that you that you may be shocked to discover or maybe you won't be um, I knew nothing about I can't pronounce his name so you need to tell me how do I pronounce the composer's name his name not his name is it Gretry?
1: Andre Gretry? Yeah, I think you said that. I mean, that, in actually you would say right? Gretry, you would say it with an i I'm not sure that I'm going to do that, because <laughs> <slightly self-conscious laughs> i do that. Uh,
0: So I didn't know about him until last week. <laughs> That's the first thing. Uh, and then I went to the Grove Dictionary of Music and I found an article about him and one sentence about um, uh, Ra- uh, Raoul Um And I sat down in the audience... Last night, I thought it's fine. There'll be some, will be a synopsis. There'll be something in English. I heard it in French, and there were Norwegian surtitles <laughs> <insert> <laughs> And I felt, I felt all at sea. Uh, these are the things that struck me having watched it once. Uh, which was there's quite a lot of pantomime in it. It makes me think of British pantomime. It makes me think of um, possibly even Gilbert and Sullivan. There are sort of elements in the story which have Gilbert and Sullivan-type things, you know, comic nights, um, uh, romantic leads, uh, and a slightly sort of haphazard plot, uh, and, and an evil wrongdoer. Um, I was surprised about how much Mozart I heard in the music, and how easy it was to follow <laughs> even though I didn't understand what was I mean a kind of what was going on. Does any of that surprise you?
1: Well actually not. Okay. Why is that? Because because well first because I mean it sounds like Mozart, but that's because Mozart, you know well, Grethrie lived for a long time and Mozart died very young. Mm. But um, you know the inspiration goes from Gretch to Mozart not the other way around. Right. Uh, and I think Retri has fantastic arias, mm. and it's really—I mean, though grandiose arias for soprano—and it's, it's just, I think they are really, really thrilling. And, and there is one aria in this in this um, in this work um, uh, in, the, in the first act, which resembles quite much another very, not very famous, one of the most famous arias by by Retrie. It's from another opera. The theme of the Beauty and the Beast. Uh, the opera is called Zemir yeah. Azor and there is uh, an aria which is called L'air de la Fauvette, which is also, you know, like an exuberant soprano, soprano aria, and those are so fantastic. Um, as for Gilbert and Sullivan, I must admit, you know, as being a Norwegian. Person who spent our time in France, it's it's not something I know very well. (laughs) (laughs) But but you're very good at (laughs) sarcasm. But but I think but I think there is a I think there is a sense that you know um, uh, opera comic. Even though you had theatre mixed, no dialogue opera or theatre mixed with music in. In the Italian Renaissance, you have it. You know, with the, in Britain, in the beginning of the 18th century. I think what happened really in the mid-18th century, what I spoke about earlier about this creation of opera comique in Paris, and the fact that this spread throughout Europe, it suddenly, one of a sudden became a major genre, a big genre with a huge success, and it, then gradually it, it it became what we today know as the operette. As we move, you know, through... Well, oh, right. as an
0: operetta? Yeah. yeah. You know, when from, you, yeah. Look, when, you, when, you, when you
1: move yeah. up to the, you know, early, early 19th century, you have composers like Offenbach. Mm. And, and, you know, this this is also very much performed um, in, in Britain. And, and when you get the theatre stage uh, in the United States, it is also performed there. And it gradually, you know, transforms into the uh, music, musical comedy... And when you get Hollywood, it transforms into the musical film. Mm. And and I think there is a a real uh, coherence that goes all the way up to Broadway today.
0: Um, What have you most enjoyed about this production?
1: I think what I enjoyed most, actually, was working with the stage directors. Because they are doing... I think they have done a fantastic job. Because it's not easy to... I think they... They didn't... They were not tempted by... Just you know, trying to find a metaphor to transpose it to something contemporary. I think they wanted to make a kind of theatre that is based on the arts and crafts of um, you know non-technical theatre, but with huge effect, but without doing the, history, the you know the historical reconstruction. And I think in that way it speaks to the audience. It's it's based on the on the conditions of the work itself, but it speaks to the audience today in a very good way. Uh, there is a Mary Poppins reference though, isn't
0: there? I mean, the, the, I, uh, I'm did I... I'm, sure. m- I'm not sure. D- uh, are you not... Did you not see that? Which, which I, mean, I mean, you're in the pit, you've been seeing her or not. I mean, I'm sure I saw, and unfortunately I don't know the characters' names, uh, is it Virgie? Yeah. So in the, in the second act, Virgie comes on dressed as a woman. Absolutely. With a long red coat yeah, yeah. and a brolly. Yeah. That's a Mary Poppins yeah, 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 reference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then at the full, end, they try and take yeah, off, and yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. No, 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 no.
1: <laughs> it's full of reference like that. And, <laughs> and
0: that's, 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 that's just fantastic, I think. Yeah. So you were, just, you were just playing with me. Okay, so you did know that there was a Mary Poppins reference. Um, yeah. Like why should we care about
1: Gretchen? Well, I think... Well, why should we care more about it? Well, I think, you know... I think, I think personally because it's good music. I think that's... I mean, there could be any, you know, uh, scientific or you know, historical reason. You know. The fact that he was famous in his day doesn't necessarily justify to perform it today. I mean, you know, there have been many successful things throughout history. We cannot repeat everything. But I think, I think we should perform it because it's, the music is great... The show is, the, I mean, the plot often is. He collaborated with very good playwrights, especially Sudan, who is the playwright of this of this piece, and and they are really really good composers. And I think there is also, you know, this this piece in particular is it's closely linked to the French Revolution, and I think it's um it's really exciting, and it's it tells the story about um, people who are in to someone else and uh, and who really opposes to this person and who wins and and it's um, even though it probably wasn't intended as a kind of you know pre sign of the referential, it was actually performed only you know three months or something before the revolution itself and it tells the story about a, you know a tyrant or a, a ruler who is really behaving very badly with the people under him so you know immediately after the revolution this piece was imagined I mean everyone would see in Raoul Louis uh, XVI you know who were then you know who was hanged uh, afterwards and and Sorry, he wasn't hanged. It was the guillotine. <laughs> gu- <the> gu- <laughs> executed. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, still executed, but it, it was a sharp knife, and, isn't and, it? And the, 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 the curious thing, which I, I mean, I haven't really digged into this, but, you know, Gretry was actually the favourite composer of Marie-Antoinette. Oh. He was very, very closely linked to the court. And, and he then became, you know, he survived the revolution very, I mean, the, he didn't have any major problems. So, so it's um, it's quite interesting, and also opera comique during the French Revolution became a main propaganda tool. So they had they had two two opera two opera comic houses. One was called the Théâtre Favar, where this play was played, and the other one was called Théâtre Fedot. So the Favard theater was the revolutionary theater, but the other theater, which was originally founded a couple of months, bef- a couple of years before the revolution in the honour of Monsieur Frère du Roi, so the prince who was the brother of the king, it was called Théâtre de Monsieur. So this theatre, which had this kind of royal link, became a major royalist club. And, you know, it's, it's really... It's, I think it's really difficult to imagine today, you know, how, how this kind of operetta, in a way, mm. could become a major political tool. Mm. And, and there were spies sitting in the audience of both theatres. From the government, in order to pick out royalist audience, you know. Wow. I have been looking. I went to the archives in Paris, and I find those those um, notes from spies written up by hand. You know, wow. and you can and, and and they tell you know. I was sitting in, in this and this theater the other the other day, and the person behind me was not singing the massayette because they had to sing the, the uh, la yes. before yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah. He was not singing. Wow. You know, and well, this well, this person. Uh, or uh, you know, there were certain colours which were not allowed because there would be a reference to the mon- mon- monarchy, and so they would say, uh, this and this actor, you know, had this and this uh, colour on his dress. Uh, I mean, I mean, and there was a, I mean, there was a real risk that they would be then go under the guillotine. So. Sounds, sounds, like, <laughs> sounds like UK concert halls now when people start talking. <laughs> like, well, there is talking. In place. you talking. You can't imagine that. Um, that that would be. It's like the casting in the DDR. It's really... And and to see those documents written, it's, it almost feel like time hasn't...
0: No, it's, it's... Thanks to Martin Volberg uh, for talking to me in this podcast. Please rate, like, and share this podcast with your pals, your friends, your family, whoever. The more likes it gets... The more listens it gets, the more people want to participate in it. That's how it works. It's that simple. If you fancy supporting the blog and the podcast with a donation, visit ThoroughlyGood.me and look for the button. It's a PayPal thing. It doesn't need to be a big donation. It just legitimises the creative process. Tweet me at ThoroughlyGood with any thoughts, complaints, moans, criticisms whatever you like i'm quite robust sign up for the weekly newsletter at tinyletter.com forward slash
1: thoroughly good thanks very much for listening